Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman, still got the uh, growth going here. Thanks to my main man, Sim Huday. He told me before the uh, game last week, you may remember, that I had to go into, what was it, Casey McAllister and Brandon Seho? Is that called? Savage mode. Savage mode. Yikes. Good morning. You guys okay? Brandon, welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, I missed the savage mode conversation. So Yeah, and, and I told him, you know, you, you know, I don't know who it was, was joking around about the George Clooney stuff, whatever. My son says to me, as this comes in salt and pepper by the day, Joe Buck on his game. Hey, listen. Watching highlights from the other the games. That's right, Casey's not even paying attention to the show. He's producing the show, and he's not even paying attention to the show. <laughs> My son says to me, he says, Dad, you're starting to look like Kevin Stefanski. I don't know about that. You got to grow it out a little bit more. Well, I, listen, I told Zim, and I promised him, and my wife is looking at me like, what are you doing? Uh, and my son told me, Dad, they may not lose again. I told Zim I would not shave until the Bengals lost again. Wow. Never had a beard. I think they're winning this this week. Yeah, it's going to grow out quite a bit. You're, you and I are going to be <laughs> mountain men. Mountain men. <laughs> Just like Zim. No, Zim's not a mountain man. He's a woodsy man. Woodsy man. He makes the clarification and says that's a deal. I missed a lot. You did. It is a uh, short work week for the Bengals, as you know, after they get their first win Sunday in the Meadowlands over the New York Jets. The unbeaten Miami Dolphins, 3-0, come to town Thursday night. They have the big ring of honor ceremony at the game that night. Bengals wearing those White helmets with the black stripes on them. Uh, saw some pictures of, uh, of them putting that onto the field in preparation of Thursday night. Looks very, very cool. This game might be the best game of the entire weekend of the National Football League, despite the fact that the Bengals are only one and two. But this is a big-time game. Uh, no word on DJ Reader. Zach Taylor said yesterday he injured his knee. Had to leave the game the other day. Don't know if he's going to play. T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, among others, both pretty beat up. They were limited in practice yesterday. Jermaine Pratt, who missed Sunday's game, was limited in practice as well. So we'll wait and see about that. As for the Dolphins, the team says Tua is not in concussion protocol. That that injury was to his back. It was a very scary video for sure, but apparently full systems go for Tua here on Thursday night. Giants and the Cowboys in the Meadowlands last night, and the legend that is Cooper Rush continues to build. He made his third NFL start. He's 3-0, beat Minnesota last year. He beat the Bengals last week. And wins a huge divisional game last night against the previously unbeaten New York Giants. The Dallas defense sacks Daniel Jones five times. And some cat named Micah Parsons didn't have any of them. So the Cowboys win 23-16 to go to 2-1 on the year. 
Other football news. Did you see the story on Miles Garrett? Boy, did he dodge a bullet. Apparently left practice yesterday. He's driving down the road, goes off the road, car flips. Thank God above. He's okay. Was sent to the hospital. Everything appears all right. Bad news, meanwhile, for Patriots starting quarterback Mac Jones. He's expected to miss, quote-unquote, multiple games after suffering a high ankle sprain in their loss to Baltimore on Sunday. The veteran Brian Hoyer, he of Cleveland, Ohio, is the backup for the Patriots and is expected to start this week. In baseball, the Reds lose to the Pirates in the opener of a three-game series. It's the Reds' fifth straight loss to the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. That's 94 losses now for the Reds. They have eight games to go. Obviously, they need to win three to avoid a 100-loss season. And Aaron Judge, in a 3-2 loss to Toronto last night, is still sitting on 60 home runs, one shy of tying Roger Maris for the American League single-season home run record. The Yankees have eight games to go as well, looking like they're wrapping up the American League East. But a couple good races in the wild card. I uh, don't know how many people are actually paying attention to it, but a couple of decent races. Brandon, how was your trip to Madison, Wisconsin, before we get to Brian Billick here in about five minutes? It was great. It was a good time. I, you know, Joe Thomas invited me to, to his home to do that podcast shoot with him, and he really opened up about his career with the Browns and you know, played for 11 years, got hurt at the end there and, and hung it up, but Played 10,334 straight snaps, I think yep. it is. Yep. Which is crazy to think about. Uh, had one winning season. That was his first year, his rookie campaign. Then had 10 straight years of losing in Cleveland. But he's one of the all-time greats. It was fun. And then Madison, you and I were talking off camera about this. That was a cool cool place. Oh, Campus man. is right on the water. So is downtown. I went to the famous uh, Brat place, State Street Brats, I think it is. And... Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a great time. And he is a – when you meet people working in this business, sometimes they aren't what you crack out to be. He's exactly as advertised. Yeah. A real dude, great guy, met his wife, his four kids. They were all home running around after school. It was a, uh, it was a really cool experience. You know, I, I meant to ask you, and I had brought it up before you went on the trip. I had seen him or heard him. Uh, talking about Joe Thomas, great tackle for the Cleveland Browns. One day, without a doubt, we'll go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, I thought I had seen him or heard him doing some kind of media work in the NFL, and I thought he was really, really good. Is he not doing that anymore? Yeah, he was doing some for the NFL Network, and when I got to his house, they actually had his office set up with a couple cameras and lights and all that stuff. So, yeah, he still is doing some media work, and he likes it. I was because we touched on a lot of different, you know, topics when it comes to, you know, playing, mental health, what you do afterwards. And, you know, a lot of guys struggle because they don't have an identity after football. He said it helps him because he still is involved kind of as a football player when he's talking on the air. So, yeah, he still is doing some type of the media stuff. And he played there, obviously, at the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, legend. Barry Alvarez. Yep, legend. We uh, talked about we Barry being on the show. Barry's the best. Yep, uh, he, he loved him. He's just the best. And uh, I would highly recommend to anyone, I don't know if maybe you have a kid or a grandkid that's thinking about, you know, somewhere to go to college. It is out of state, very expensive, no doubt. 
but it's a great, great place. I, I've never met anybody, and I've said this, uh, I've said this 50,000 times in my life, because when I was announcing the Cubs games in Chicago, and I was single, and, and, and every single year we had the All-Star break, I would jump in the car and pick a different spot in the state of Wisconsin, which is spectacular in the summer. It's brutal in the winter, but spectacular in the summer. And, and I've been all over that state, and, and I've said a million times that, that, that the nicest people I've ever met in my life in any state in America uh, are in Wisconsin. And as far as just fans are concerned, Brewers fans, Badgers fans, Packers fans, I don't know much about the NBA thing, but they're the best fans I've seen anywhere. They're passionate. They were talking about everything when we were there. The Packers had just wrapped up that game in Tampa Bay when yep. I got there, and they were fired up. Good. Good. Um, we're here 10 to 12 every single day, Monday through Friday. Check us out on YouTube at Chatterbox Sports. Likewise, on Facebook at Chatterbox Sports. We come to you in podcast form as well. We thank many of you uh, who have been downloading this as a podcast on a regular basis. Uh, our numbers are climbing and climbing, so we sincerely say thank you. You can find it wherever you get your podcast at um, – Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever. All right, lots to talk about with Brian Billick, former Super Bowl-winning head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, working as an offensive analyst at Arizona State University. Brian's ready to go, is that right? Brian, what, did, did you stop at the University of Oregon and pick up that, uh, that pullover you got on there? I mean, they, they just send that to you? What? You know, this is uh, when you get to by my age, you got to be as bright as you can. You doing well, I hope? Doing great. Doing great. Beautiful weather up here in the Northland and uh, watching a lot of football. Um, I want to ask you about, um, and, and I found this stuff, the years we worked together, I learned so much from you, not only about football, but about preparation and, and how hard coaches work, not just head coach, but assistant coaches and so forth. Talk about what challenges there are for the Bengal staff and the Dolphin staff when you just play on Sunday and now you're that Thursday night game. How different is it than preparing from going from Sunday to Sunday? Well, huge, uh, simply because you're, you're – teaching mechanism, your routine is so disrupted. You're, you're not going to get anything physically done. You know that. And, that, and that's okay. But just in terms of the mechanism of installing the game plan, getting it integrated to the players, my wife always used to joke after we'd play a Thursday night game, she'd say, look, you, you just did it Sunday to Thursday. Why don't you do it that way every week and just take Friday and Saturday off? <laughs> and and she's, she has a point there. But it does. It's just the disruption and how much you can really focus in on what the other team's going to do. Now, they're in the same predicament, so there's only so much that they're going to be able to throw at you. And and teams seem to handle it. You know, obviously, you put a lot of time in in the offseason getting ready for that short week. You may install certain things in the weeks preceding that or take a time in training camp that's devoted maybe a day or two to that opponent that you're not going to be able to spend the time during the season. Particularly if it's an early, uh, if it's an early uh, uh, Thursday night game later on in the season, it wouldn't make as much of a difference. So I mean, you do it. It is what it is. The players step up and, and ready to go. Uh, but it, it clearly does challenge you in terms of your preparation. 
You know, when you're talking there about um, having an early Thursday night game, and this is only the, what, fourth week of the season, and so the Bengals are getting this one out of the way, the Dolphins are getting this one out of the way. But, you know, you, you talked about looking at stuff maybe the team did the year prior. In Miami's case, they have a different head coach. Uh, they've brought in Tyreek Hill. Uh, Tua appears to be a very different quarterback, at least through the first three games, than he was at any point in his career up until now. Does that present an even greater challenge if you're the Bengals coaching staff because of all the things that have changed regarding Miami from a year ago? Sure, your preparation, as I said, that you may have done early in the season, in anticipation of the short week. Um, now, I mean, you really got to rely on, on the three previous games in Miami. I mean, that game against Buffalo, I, I've been at this a long time, Tom. I don't think I have ever seen a game. You're talking about a Buffalo team that had 400 yards of passing offense, over 100 yards rushing. They had the ball for 40 minutes. They ran 90 plays compared to Miami's 35 or 36. Uh, Miami didn't run the ball, less than 50 yards rushing. Tua was 13 of 20. Uh, Buffalo only had one turnover, had seven explosive plays to Miami's two, and they lose 21-19. I don't know that I've ever, ever seen a game with that kind of back score, box score. And for Miami to, you know, all but at home, but it's against Buffalo, hot team, and a lot of people think best team in the AFC, coming off a road win, an unbelievable come-from-behind road win in Baltimore, another team that people are kind of thinking, okay, this could be one of the best teams in the AFC. Uh, Miami, is, it's on, they're on a credible run right now. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens on a Thursday night. Does playing in that kind of game for Miami when you're playing down there in that kind of heat, and, and I recall before the season opener this year where Bill Belichick, when New England was going down there to open the year, took his team down on a Tuesday night because his players had shared with him that they had a hard time acclimating to that kind of heat uh, early in the year. For Miami, now they're used to playing in it, but like you said, especially their defense, they're on the field for 90 plates. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're on a short, short week. Is that a factor or are these guys just so highly conditioned that by the time Thursday rolls around, no big deal? No question about it. That short week and, and the key. And Miami traditionally has had better success early because people come down into that heat, humidity, they're not ready for it. You know, look, it's still it's hot and humid for, for both sides now. The difference is the Miami players live in it every day. They don't just train in it. When you go to the store, you know, you go out to eat, you take your fit, what you 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 just get used to it, right? I mean, I go down to Arizona State for their games and that 102, 103 temperature kickoff, our guys just, you know, it's hot for them too, but they're just used to it. So there's no question. Everybody's talked about how even in the heyday, New England, when Tom Brady and all that, had trouble if they played Miami early in Miami. So it is very real, but you're right. I would be very, very concerned. I can't imagine that the Miami coaches – Heck, you may not even go out on the field this week. You'll, you'll just do it with walkthroughs, meetings, hydrate your players, you know, because that not for the defense, 90 plays in that heat uh, and a turnaround play on a Thursday. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm sure a medical opinion would tell you this is what you've got to do and this is what you've got to be careful of. But it, that, that's a lot. Much was made. I'm sure, Brian, you saw the video of Tua when he gets hit. And his head slams on the turf. The first instinct naturally for everybody is, okay, this is a head injury. He tries to get up. 
He's wobbling around. He almost falls down. They take him out of the game. He ends up coming back later and playing in the game. Uh, the Dolphins say afterwards, Tua says afterwards, it was a back injury. It wasn't a head injury. In fact, he's not even in concussion protocol, as we found out yesterday afternoon. There is no way in this day and age, there may have been a time, Brian, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no way, even though the NFLPA, Players Association, uh, has asked for some kind of investigation as to why he was allowed back in that game, there's no way medical staffs in this day and age can put a player back in there if he's not A-OK, right? Absolutely. There's no way. Because you've got to remember that concussion protocol, certainly with the team uh, physician, but there's also at every stadium an independent neurologist that also wades in and, and puts the players through the protocols. So it, it's as uh, subjective or uh, objective, I guess, as you can get. Um, and, and when you look at it, because I've seen the player and, and I've had a sciatic at times, the way he it gave, you can kind of Okay, you can see where it would be the back. Um, but but the way the protocol is set up, there is no question. And the union's got to go through the procedure anyway. Okay, we're going to protect our players. And they know it's going to come out and they follow the protocols and it's going to be fine. Uh, because it's very stringent. Because you know the league. I mean, how many millions did the league have to pay in concussion uh, CTE yep. uh, uh, and all that? you got to believe the league in no way, shape, or form is going to leave themselves vulnerable to anybody questioning the protocol. So it's a tight process, and if they say it's the back, then it's the back. All right, I want to ask you about a different kind of injury when you're the head coach, and that has to do with Herbert out there in L.A. I mean, I give the kid all the credit in the world. He broke his rib, maybe more than one, in the game uh, two weeks ago. They were wondering, would he come back and play? He does come back and play. The Chargers just get wiped out. I mean, wiped out by the Jacksonville Jaguars at home. My question is this. When you have a quarterback, and Herbert's a star quarterback, there's no doubt. But when you have a quarterback that has that kind of injury, and anyone who's ever broken a rib, it, it literally and figuratively hurts just to breathe. Take a deep breath when you have a broken rib. What's that fine line, Brian, and, and as a head coach making that decision to go ahead and go with this guy as opposed to sitting him out a week or two? Well, you go, you talk about a protocol, you go through the progression. First, the player has to say, okay, I'm good to go. All right, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt, but I know you want to play. Next, it's Doc. So, is he okay? Can he go? Could he injure it further? What's his vulnerability? Uh, and if the doctors say, yeah, we're comfortable with, yes, he can go, then fine. And this is a tough one for the coach. You've got to look at it. You can look at the way he's performing, and you've got to make the decision. Okay, can you get out of harm's way? Can you produce at the level we're going to need? Uh, and, and when you go against the player and the, and, the, and the medical staff, because you just look at it and say, you know, I don't think he's going to play well enough, that's always tough, and it's tough on the players. Sometimes the player <laughs> – I've had it where the player goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely want to play. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I, I, I want to tough through it in the doctors. And then quietly he'll come up to your office and go, coach, I can't play. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, well, you got to cover me here. Yeah. You know, you got to be the bad guy. Um, that happens sometimes too. Uh, but Herbert, uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, I'm, and I don't know that people can fully appreciate as a quarterback making the throw. Imagine for those golfers out there, you know, I'm in the golf now. Imagine you're, you're, you got your driver and you in your backswing and knowing, knowing that the minute you come down and start your follow through, 
someone's going to hit you in your ribs with a seven iron. That knowing that pain is going to come, you know, yeah, that's going to change your action a little bit. So the kid obviously shows some toughness. Uh, rib injuries are a tough one. They take a long time to heal. Hopefully he'll continue to do that. They may, you know, I, that was always the questions for the doctors. If I sit him, how much of a percentage will he be better the next week? If it's substantial, it's okay, then I'm going to sit him. If it's minimal, it's okay. If the kid thinks he can play through it, he plays through it. So there's a lot that goes into it. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago how a team loses the first game, the sky is falling. You lose a second game, and now literally the earth is moving under your feet. Um, not quite to that level, but, you know, look, Bill Belichick is considered to be the greatest coach in the history of the National Football League, all the Super Bowl titles, so on and so forth. Um, they lose their quarterback in Mac Jones, at least it says for multiple weeks with a high ankle sprain. Again, reflecting back to your days as a head coach. And, and if I recall, you lost Steve McNair very early in the year, one year, right? And all of a sudden he's first out. Game, first game, yeah. first game in Cincinnati. Right? I remember that. I was at that game. Um, and uh, and by, by, by the way, I was, I was yelling bad things at you on the sideline, not knowing we'd be partners one day. Uh, but, but, but I got to ask you, uh, what's the mentality? I know it's all that next man up kind of thing, and Brian Hoyer's been around the block and so on and so forth. But, you know, while Mac Jones may not be among the elite quarterbacks in the NFL yet, perhaps one day he gets there. But when you're looking at your season and moving forward, and all of a sudden you're going, holy Moses, we don't have this guy now. We are in big, big trouble. This is very different than losing – you know, Trey Lance and having Jimmy Garoppolo to fall back on, right? Yeah, it's 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 always tough. Nothing shakes an organization more to its core than having to make a change of quarterback, either due to injury or, or bad play. And you're right, the next man up is a great mentality. The problem is the next man up isn't as good. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the next man up, right? I mean, that goes by definition. So the, the New England Patriots have been through it before, but they've been through it before when they had really good teams, when they lost Tom Brady and, and uh, they had the, what was Cassell, Matt Cassell. I'm trying to remember the guy that came in and actually yep. played pretty well yep. for a bunch of games. Um, but they were a pretty good football team. This is this is an okay football team. It's not a great football team. So, yeah, that that makes a huge difference. And, and, the, and the Patriots will rally around it. And the good thing is that the coach, you know, they know that there's, the coach isn't going anywhere. So, you know, we got to we, we can't quit here. Because I'm still accountable to that guy, so um, you know the, the 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 problem for them is as they go forward now, they they got to go to Green Bay, you know, not an easy place to play. Then they play the Lions at home. They go to the Browns. The Browns are playing well, um, you know. Then they play the Bears and the Jets. So their schedule is is every schedule is tough in the NFL. Uh, going to Green Bay with your backup quarterback. Um, that's not an easy task. So yeah, so you you know you're sitting there and and staring at, at, uh, at maybe one and three, uh, and and now have to play the Lions all but at home. Yeah, that's it's tough duty. The uh, the last thing I wanted to to, to ask you about um, the first two games of the year, the Bengals faced the Tampa two defense over thirty two percent of the time in their opener uh, against the Steelers and then in the second game against Dallas. They faced the Tampa 2 
2% of the time in the game against the New York Jets. What I'm getting at is uh, Robert Sala is without a doubt an outstanding defensive football coach. But, but how hard is it, or is it hard at all, to all of a sudden be playing one style or one philosophy of defense to now all of a sudden try and maybe change that up to counter an opponent who clearly is having issues with a certain style of defense. Is that hard to do? No. no first off, it's what you got to do what you do. You, the biggest mistake you make is look at a film and say, oh, look what that team did. Let's do that. And it's not you. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't looked at the Jets all that much. Maybe they're not a two, cover two team. It's not inherent. Everybody has Tampa 2 in their system. Uh, whether they should play more, why they didn't. I think clearly the difference was the pressure they could put on the quarterback. And with Joe Burrow, what we're seeing is it's a sliding scale. Sacks go down, touchdowns go up. Yeah. Okay. Sacks go up, touchdowns go down. Okay. And so it's the pressure you put. Uh, so if you sit on in, in a cover two, then that means you're just getting a four-man rush. Maybe a five if you try to be creative, but with a cover two and the nature of the defense, it, you know it, it, that doesn't add up. Leaves holes in the defense, so they may think, "Well, we got to get pressure on on Joe Burrow." And and what teams the first couple teams were able to do was to sit in that Tampa two, yet still get pressure with a four man rush. And the Jets may have thought, "Like we can't we can't get home with four man rush. We got to do it with five and six guys." And, and obviously, it didn't, it didn't work because they only got two sacks, and and Joe Burrow had a good day with two hundred seventy five yards and three touchdowns. All right, my friend, I tell you, I'd like to be, uh, didn't you tell me Lamar Jackson's mom is his agent? Before I let you go, I mean, I, I'd like to have that gig right about now, all that cash staying in the family, so to speak, if mom gets her percentage. Uh, this cash- how, about, how about Lamar? How about whatever contract that is going, hey, I don't have to pay an agent percentage. How cool That's what, is that? Right. That's I'm paying good. mom. Yeah, well, that's different. You're going to pay mom anyway, so now you, you it's, it's – <laughs> to Phil. Yeah, he he was spectacular. And uh, like I said, numbers I've never seen before. Um, they got to play Buffalo. Interesting, you know, to uh, to see, uh, uh, you know, coming up the Ravens and, and, and Buffalo, what kind of what kind of matchup that is. Uh, I, I'm going to be interested, particularly a, a Buffalo team that's kind of hurting right now going, you know, we, we, we this isn't going to stand. We got to come back and play well. And it's in Baltimore. Well, that, that, that prompts me actually for one last question that I mes- me- meant to ask you earlier when we were talking about Buffalo and all the gaudy numbers they had offensively um, in the loss to Miami. Brian, you, you were considered one of the great offensive minds in, in football history, and, and, and we've talked about this before. A team can't win, can they, Brian, regularly? I made this comment that if the Bills are throwing the ball 55 times or 63 times as they did last week in a game, you're not going to the Super Bowl playing that way. Well, we could say the same thing. If your quarterback's carrying the ball 10, 15 times a game, can you go to the Super Bowl that way? You know, Baltimore, you could ask the same thing. Yeah, Buffalo, clearly, they're playing great defense. Now, they were without four defenders, not to make an excuse for them. So their defense wasn't as good. Like I said, it was the most unique game because the offense played well. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Now, they weren't able to get in the end zone as much, and that's always a factor. Um to rely as much as they do on a Josh Allen, yeah, but but how much do the Packers rely on on Aaron uh, Rodgers? How, you know, how much does Tampa Bay rely on Tom Brady? Uh, yeah, they wanted they need to get the running game cranked up a little bit. 
uh, Allen is a factor in the running game next sure. to Lamar Jackson, the biggest factor at quarterback in the running game that any team has. Uh, but that's what they do, and and they've been very productive at it. So yeah, I think that particularly if the defense is playing well and they're healthy, yeah, I, I don't think they have to. You know, you always have that question when you have a Lamar Jackson or you have a uh, a Josh Allen is okay. Well, how many designed runs are we going to have? Because you're going to have a certain amount of them organically just with scrambles. So you got to think what okay, what's our pitch count here on a guy like Jack, big physical guy? You don't want him taking too many hits. Um, how many called runs are we going to have? They're certainly going to factor that in uh, in terms of how much they want him to carry the ball because he's going to do a certain amount of it organically. All right, buddy. Brian, thanks so much for your time. Tell your bride, Kim, we said hello. And uh, and the rest of the gang, too. Kids, grandkids, the girls, and everybody, and the boys. And, uh, and we'll catch up next week. Thanks for your time, buddy. Good. Sounds great. All right. Brian Billick. Our NFL insider, nobody better to have talking about the National Football League. I, I just can't tell you how much I learned from that guy um, a, a, about coaches and how hard they work. He told me a story one time about they, they were coming back um, from the West Coast and they're on the flight. And, uh, you know, we had just entered into the age where you could start watching film and somebody back in Baltimore had already broken down the film from next week's opponent and how they were landing on, on in essence, a red eye. It was a charter flight, but West Coast game, and they landed 4 or 5 in the morning in Baltimore. And how the entire coaching staff, players were going home to get some sleep, to see their families and all that kind of thing, and the entire coaching staff was going into the facility to start getting ready for the next opponent. Uh, not only those times, but getting ready for a draft and how position coaches are assigned. Okay, the defensive line coach, part of your job description, along with getting your team ready to play and coaching up guys to get better, is to then start looking at, in your spare time, the guys you might be considering and where they would rank on a draft board as it pertains to your particular position group. Uh, and for a team like the Bengals, for example, who don't have the scouting staff that a team like Baltimore or a team like Pittsburgh or a team like New England, um, those decisions fall heavily upon those position coaches, uh, the draft part of it. And so, you know, you might think these guys, when the season's over, they get some time off. It's not much at all as far as time off is concerned. It's interesting, and fellas here and Brian Billick talk about some of the decisions a coach has to make, the whole Herbert thing, the whole, um, you know, pitch count, to borrow his phrase, for a quarterback if he's a running quarterback. Uh, I, I think that stuff's really interesting to listen to. You? Yeah, I agree. Um, it kind of – you go into the mind of a NFL head coach is always really, really interesting. Um, but especially at the professional level, like – at college, you, you don't really think about that stuff. Like, that guy is going to play – like, your quarterback's going to play the scheme. If it's triple option, they're going to play that, and they're not going to worry about what the kid is going to – how many reps he's getting or how many runs or how many throws he's making. But in the NFL, it is, like, down to the nitty-gritty. Like, yep. I bet you Lamar does have a pitch count, like 10 runs a game. And then it probably changes per team. They probably go – well, they're playing. Uh, they're playing the Rams. We're probably only going to run it like six times because 
they got a stout D-line. Stuff like that. I think that's really cool, though, yep. that, that that exists and that the game has uh, evolved with a lot of analytics. A lot of analytics stuff. and uh, well, I don't get too much into analytics. Tom doesn't like that when it comes to baseball. Football, though? It, it, it's not that. I have the Joe Madden philosophy. And his interview uh, on a podcast he did a couple of weeks ago. That wasn't I, a shot at you. I was just making no, a No, I, I know that. I know. But, but, but I had a guy the other day ask me the question, hey, why aren't you into analytics? What is it you have against analytics? All those kinds of things. And there were people that watched the Reds games religiously who are hardcore analytics people that thought I was the worst announcer in the history of baseball. God bless them. I mean, if that's what they think, they're entitled to their opinion. It's fine. But, but, but here's the thing, as it pertains to uh, what Joe Madden said. He said, it's great to have the information. And Madden was one of the original proponents of heavy analytical bases uh, uh, being used in baseball. Mm -hmm. But he thought it got to a point where the players themselves are getting overwhelmed, that there's an analytics guy coming into the clubhouse at least with the Angels, where they were giving a 20 to 30-minute presentation before every game to the players. And these guys are worn out, and their eyes are spinning around in their head. Some guys want it a little bit more than other guys want it. As it pertains to television, here's the deal. At Fox, all the years I was there, they started an independent research company as to why people watch sports, what's important to them when they watch sports. And they would give, and this was a serious study they would do every year. They, they would give like 50 topics of things that you found to be important when watching a baseball game, okay? Actually, it was 30 topics because I'm going to be very specific here for a change. Year after year after year, and it didn't change as analytics became more uh, prominent in baseball. For the person watching the baseball game on television for five years in a row, ranking one the most important, 30 the least important, analytics never climbed above 27th on the list. I, Not one time. I believe it because you know the philosophy in local TV where I came from. It's anyone can get numbers anywhere. People watch for stories or for you know, emotion, something personal, or, you know, seeing a stadium go crazy, or a guy hit a 500th home run. Now, I'm not totally against knowing what the launch angle is or how fast, you know, exit velocity, but that's not what my attention is centered around. Yeah, so like last night, I mean, and, and this is analytics in football, I thought it was very interesting, and I thought it flowed with the presentation of the game. Don't know how much you guys said you saw it. Casey, you said not much, but, but, but Saquon Barkley had an incredible run. What a player. When that guy's healthy, not even close. Not Kamara, not this guy, not that guy, not McCaffrey. When he's healthy, without a doubt, Saquon Barkley is the best back in the National Football League. He's strong, he's powerful, he's fast, he can run, he can catch. Uh, but he scores a touchdown last night. And I mean, like clockwork. And a great job by the guys at uh, ESPN. They, they, they did an analytics of how fast he was running once he got into the open field. And he got up to over 20 miles an hour. I thought that was interesting. You think about driving a car 20 miles an hour. You feel like you're creeping along. But then when you start looking at people trying to run alongside of you, not, not so much. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I, I like that part of it for sure. And I'm not – I like when it comes to baseball, I'm a mix of old and new. I didn't like – I went out, you know, for a long time, I liked having 
the pitcher having to hit. Then once the Reds had a killer lineup in 2020, I decided, all right, you know what, DH on both sides, I'm cool with that. Yep. It just, I think, I think it evolves, but I, I, there, there's a place for both. I think analytics are good for for all sports, but it doesn't have to overtake the broadcast, kind of like what you said. We got a lot of people watching today. I mean, our numbers continue to climb uh, every single day, and, and we can't thank you enough. We have a poll question today for the first time. Is Cincinnati a football town or a baseball town? I argue it's both, but if I had to pick one right now, it's probably football. But uh, one of the, the commenters, Alex, he kind of said it, well, whoever's winning is the town that we are, you know? And Legitimate point. Yeah. I don't know what – I don't – it was a baseball town for a long, long, long time. And I think last year finally took, you know, the switching of the guard. Yeah. You know what? That, that viable point. Which and, I'm a traditionalist. And, and you might be one, no, but you might be 100% correct. And I think there are a lot of people around here that feel that way, at least off the top of their head to answer that question, that it's always been a baseball town, baseball's oldest franchise, so on and so forth. But when you start trickling down off of the pro team, I've always said that Cincinnati is a football town. I've always said it because of the high school football, yeah. uh, because of uh, college football uh, in and around the area. Uh, but anyway, that's our poll question today. You can check us out on YouTube and you can weigh in as well. When we come back, we're going to have Grant Napier. Uh, does a sports talk show down in uh, South Florida to talk about the Miami Dolphins coming to town to take on the Bengals Thursday night. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. A real pleasure to be joined uh, by Grant Napier, who joins us from uh, – I, I think, Grant, you're still down there in uh, – a uh, guy like you looking like you're all tanned up down there in South Beach <laughs> or Miami and hanging out. How are you? I'm good, Tom. It's great to be on your show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. You know, uh, Grant, you and I share uh, similar stories. And yep. um, you were a guy that was broadcasting. I was on your show many times when you were in Sacramento um, yep. talking about the NFL or Major League Baseball. But you were also the play-by-play -play voice of the Sacramento Kings. And mm -hmm. you made the comment, please share it with our viewers, because I know there are a lot of people that when I brought up your name and told them you were going to come on today, they're like, oh, my gosh, what's he doing now? How's he doing now? What's life been like yeah. you for you ever since you, you said don't all – I don't want to speak for you, but you basically said sure. uh, all lives matter. Yeah. I said six words on social media in response to a tweet by DeMarcus Cousins, who I had some run-ins in with my talk show and as the 32-year TV announcer for the Sacramento Kings. DeMarcus was uh, suspended a lot. He would get into it with the coaches. He would curse out fans. And, Tom, you know, in this business, uh, you know, sometimes you have to say things that, you know, people are not going to take too kind of. And that was uh, my job in Sacramento as not only the TV voice, but a talk show host for 26 years. And he reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought of BLM. And I said, hey, uh, how you doing? I thought you forgot about me. Haven't heard from you in years. And then I put in capital letters, all lives matter. And then I put every single one with three exclamation points. So six words, all lives matter, every single one with three exclamation points. And within 48 hours, uh, I had lost both my jobs of the uh, you know, my talk show host for the same station in Sacramento for 26 years and the TV voice of the Sacramento Kings for 32 years. I made the tweet on a Sunday night, May 31st, 2020. 
And on June 2nd, uh, I was like, wow, what happened to my world? It was turned upside down. Uh, you know, for, for both of us in 2020, that was a year in the United States of America where there were a lot of things going on uh, in, in that summer. Yeah. The George Floyd uh, murder there in uh, Minneapolis, um, yep. you know, riots from coast to coast, especially where you were. It, it seemed like there were far yep. more out west than there were anywhere else. Um, what what has life, Grant, been like for you ever since then? Well, I think you could probably speak for me on this. Uh, my life was turned completely upside down. Uh, I lived in Sacramento since 87. Uh, I had become a fixture in the community. I had a foundation, uh, which has turned out, Tom, you know, nobody wants to spend five minutes when it comes to cancel culture. They just want to cancel you and move on. You know, I started a foundation in the early 2000s called the Future Foundation of Sacramento. And we sent at need underprivileged students to college. I had a, a charity golf tournament every year that we raised the funds. And I sent 104 students to college, many of whom were minorities. But it just doesn't seem like that's important anymore when you want to be canceled. What's my life been like? Uh, you know, we picked up. Uh, we left Sacramento, Tom, because Sacramento is kind of a small community. And I'm a big fish in a small pond there. And people were so nice, they were so compassionate, but whether I was out for a walk, whether I went to the store, whether I went to the gym, uh, it was a daily reminder of what happened to me and it was too difficult. And Tom, I just wanted to go to an area that number one, I really liked and number two, where nobody knew me. And so we picked, packed up and we moved to South Florida. And Tom, you said something to my podcast when I had you on a couple of months ago that really resonated with me. When you get canceled, in this country, it's not just you. It's your wife, it's your kids, it's your close friends, it's your entire family. And a lot of people don't quite understand that. So as hard as it is for me, it's much more difficult for your loved ones going through this because they have no control over the situation. Their lives are completely uprooted and you move on. And no one ever wants to talk about that. And I'm glad that you brought that up on my podcast because it's not just about you, it's not just about me. It's about how it affects our entire family and the domino effect. So what's it been like? Um, you know, it, it's been quite a learning experience. I, I don't have any problem putting my head on the pillow at night. I know what I stand for. I know how I was raised. I know what I believe in. I know about my ethics and my morals. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I've never met a perfect person except for those that are on social media that appear to be perfect with all of their tweets and everything. But I've made mistakes in my life. I think in retrospect, you know, my mistake was the timing of my tweet. I don't think there's anything wrong with what I said. I'm never going to apologize, Tom, for saying all lives matter, every single one. I mean, who the hell doesn't believe that? I think that in retrospect, my timing, one week after the uh, murder of George Floyd, uh, the timing was not good. But here's something else. You know, leading up to my tweet on May 31st, if you go back and look at my timeline for the previous week, I was extremely supportive in putting out tweets and retweeting in support of what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. And you know, all of the issues going on with Black Lives Matter. I was actually supporting and putting out things on social media. So again, that was completely ignored in my case when I got canceled. Now you're doing a show what? A daily show, weekly show? What are you doing down yep. there in South Florida with your time? You know, I'm doing a couple of different things. You know, I have a daily show on a new app called Listen App. And Tom, I love it because it's basically like a radio show on the, on the internet. And it's an interactive show. I have a lot of people that are calling up. It's basically a talk show on the Internet. I, I do a show twice week, weekly with Sean Salisbury talking about the NFL and college football on the Internet. 
Uh, I have a podcast that I put out twice weekly where I have a lot of guests. So I'm staying busy, Tom. I mean, is it what I want to do? No, it's not what I want to do. Uh, have I enjoyed doing it? Yes, I've enjoyed doing it. But I think like yourself, you know, our first love is play by play. And you being, you know, a, a longtime announcer with the Reds and with the NFL, I think I speak for you when I speak for me when I say this. That's my passion. That's what I love. I love doing live events. You can't really substitute the uh, spontaneity, the joy, the excitement of doing a live event. So I do miss that. I miss that a lot. But for the time being, I'm happy. I've had a lot of phenomenal, phenomenal interviews. I was so grateful. Charles Barkley was my first guest on my podcast, and he was great, very supportive. He was one of the first people that called me, Tom, when I lost my jobs, and he didn't even have my number. He found out my number. He called me, and we had a great conversation. So, uh, you know, Dusty Baker, I, maybe my favorite podcast when I had Dusty on. So I've had a lot of great guests. We've gotten into a lot of, you know, important issues instead of just the X's and O's. Sure. So that part of my life has been very rewarding. One of the uh, the big story, the biggest story right now in South Florida is the start of the Miami Dolphins. They're three and zero. They're coming here to play the Bengals on um, Thursday night. Uh, this might be a stupid question when you start three and zero, but Miami's <laughs> always been when they have good teams. That's a great football town. Uh, I had really close friends yep. that grew up down there whose families had season tickets and so forth. Um, it's got to be off the charts. The vibe down there right now with the Dolphins, right, Grant? It's unbelievable. And like yourself, who was a frequent visitor to Miami, you know, doing a variety of sports, whether it was baseball or football, you know, I've been coming to Miami for a long time, covering the, the Miami Heat, you know, annually. Uh, and we've always seen that there are a lot of empty seats when the teams are not going well. But this really is a passionate football market. And you're right, the, the city is off the hook right now. I mean, the question mark coming in was two are going to be able to deliver this year. They went out, obviously got Tyreek Hill. You got Jalen Waddell. They have an explosive offense, and Tua has been brilliant through three weeks. I mean, the guy has been absolutely outstanding. But you're right, Tom. Uh, the excitement down here in South Florida for the Dolphins is incredible right now. I mean, it is Dolphin fever, no doubt about it. Look, when the season starts, and it's always funny, we were talking about this with Brian Billick last week. You know, when the NFL season uh -huh. uh, schedule comes out and everybody looks at it and you're trying to figure out your team, okay, can we win that game? Are we going to lose that game? You know, right on down the road. I think a lot of people around here, uh, the Bengals are coming off a trip to the Super Bowl. They've got all these guys coming back. They revamp their offensive line. Yeah. Lord knows that means you're automatically going to be better. We know it doesn't always work out that way. And you were looking at a Thursday night against Miami, and you're thinking, oh, okay, that's a win. Uh, now, now all of a sudden, uh, I'm not so sure of that, nor are many around here. What's the, the early feeling like with the Dolphins coming here to Cincinnati this Thursday? I don't think the Bengals could have a better situation than they have Thursday night. The game that the Dolphins just played two days ago was unbelievably hot. Okay, the heat index was near 99 degrees, near 100, actually. It was 99. The Dolphins were really outplayed in that game. If you look at the stats, the Bills had the ball for 40 minutes of that game time. Okay, and, all right, and they outgained the Miami Dolphins in total yards by a wide, wide margin. A short week for the Dolphins. The Dolphins aren't going 17 and 0. You could not ask for a better situation if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. I have great questions 
about which Dolphins team is going to be able to line up on the field coming up on Thursday. They've got to be exhausted. They got to be. I think it's going to take two days just to you know hydrate yourself. The conditions of that game were absolutely brutal. It was a game of attrition. You could see it on both sidelines, but the Bills particularly because their bench was in the sun all day. I have real questions on whether the Dolphins are going to be able to line up and bring an A game on Thursday. Tom, as you well know, being a road team on a Thursday night is difficult as it is. But when you look back at the game the Dolphins just played, I don't think the Bengals could ask for a better situation than they have coming up. I'd be very surprised if the Bengals do not win this game on Thursday. I'd be very surprised. Not shocked. I'd be very surprised. I don't think you're going to get the best version of the Dolphins on Thursday. I really don't. Um, looking at, at the Dolphins uh, team this year, you mentioned Tua, and everybody knows what he did in the Baltimore yep. game, throws the six touchdowns, they rally late. Everybody knows about Hill and, and the whole night, and Waddle and, and those guys. But, you know, outside of the Baltimore game, and look, there are a lot of teams that are going to struggle against Baltimore on defense. Yep. But, but, but defense appears to be a strength for this Dolphins team that gets overshadowed by what yep. the offense is doing. Is that fair to say? Oh, it's big time fair to say. I thought the defensive game plan by the coordinator, Boyer, was phenomenal against the Bills. And they come at you. And we all know what the Bengals' problem is, is protecting Burrow and their offensive line. That's the one aspect of this game that would concern me if I'm looking at it from Cincinnati's perspective. The Dolphins are going to line up seven and eight in the box, and they're going to come at you from all types of different angles. This is an aggressive, blitzing defense and if the Bengals do not do a better job of protecting their quarterback, then maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Dolphins will walk in there and steal that game. And I'm going to use the term steal because I think if the Dolphins are able on a short week with what they just experienced Sunday against the Bills, if they're able to go on the road and beat the Bengals to me, that will be stealing the game. That to me is the number one key with the Dolphins because they are going to bring pressure and they're going to show pressure. They don't hide it. They line seven and eight up in the box and they're coming at you and you better be ready to block them. Um, before I let you go, Grant, um, Tua coming into the year, you, you pointed out a little while ago, you know, people were wondering, okay, is this a guy, you know, we drafted, yeah. is this a guy uh, that we saw at Alabama? Um, right now, three games in, we know he's off to an excellent start, but are you still a Tua buyer for lack of a better term, over the long haul? Or are there still questions about that for Grant Napier? Tom, he's answered a lot of the questions in three weeks. I think his reads are a lot better. It seems to me that he's got a better grasp of the defense that's in front of him. He's not throwing the ball into crowds. Uh, I think he's doing a marvelous job in taking what the defense gives him. And let's face it. When you have Tyreek Hill now and Waddle, and I think going out and getting a left tackle in Armstead, who is great, has really solidified that offensive line. And Tua, who is mobile, who does a pretty nice job of throwing the ball on the run. But in the pocket, he's got tremendous weapons to go to. So he's answered. I was a little apprehensive about Tua based on what I saw in the first two years, Tom. And again, I don't want to make too much out of September. I think we tend to kind of get overboard. If you remember last year, Everybody was going gaga on the Arizona Cardinals when they started off with a great you know, record. I think through 10 games, people were talking about them being the best team. And Kyler Murray was going to be the MVP. And then they fell apart when DeAndre Hopkins got hurt. And they got blown out and looked horrible in the playoffs against the Rams. So we got to put the brakes on just a little bit. But in a small sample size, three games, 
Who's been better than two at the quarterback position? The guy's been brilliant. The guy has been absolutely outstanding. And yes, in a nutshell, he surpassed my expectations already. But again, we're only talking about three games. All right. Grant, we can't thank you enough for your time, man. It's great to hear your voice, uh, you know, for so many years. And we do your radio show together. And obviously, I'd see you doing the play-by-play on TV, doing the Kings games. But, gosh, we had a lot of good times uh, talking all kinds of yep. different sports and so forth. And, uh, and I'm thinking about you. Pray for you. I hope you're doing great, man. And thank wish you. you nothing but the very, very best. Tom, much respect to you. I always wish the best for you. And anytime you need me, I'm available. I love coming on your show. And uh, continued success to you, my friend. Thank you, Grant. All the best. Be well. Grant Napier, Thank kind you, enough buddy. to join us from uh, South Florida. Uh, you know, that guy, I, I, I've said a million times, uh, my situation, I don't feel sorry for Tom Brenneman. I said what I said. I made my bed. I'm in it. But uh, my, my heart really hurts for, for, for that guy. And, he, and, and look, he doesn't want me feeling sorry for him either. But uh, that guy was just, not was, he still is. I mean, if you put him back on the air right now, he is a great play-by-play announcer. He's a great talk show host um i've seen him and heard him and been on with him in in, in both instances and uh I, I really hope that there is somebody out there uh, that will say you know what Th- this guy did everything the right way for a long 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 time and he should get another chance to do as he described uh what his passion is and and i'm rooting for him i'm really rooting for him all right, when we come back, we're going to be bouncing it around here a little bit, talking uh, what's going on in the world of football. I thought he had some very interesting uh, observations about this game from the Miami standpoint. Uh, all of those plays on defense. And when you live down there, and Grant just described it, Brian alluded to it because our family lived in Arizona for almost 14 years. And, man, I'm telling you, when, when, when you live in it, you do get used to it. Doesn't say it doesn't sap you of all your strength and energy. Uh, the heat, different kind of heat. Uh, but, but then when all of a sudden you just, you know, you've had to go do something so exhausting in that heat for three and a half, four hours, if you include the warm-up before a game and so forth, four, four and a half hours, uh, and to expect your body to bounce back uh, and be ready to do it all over again three days later, four days later. That's a monumental ask for the Miami Dolphins, especially their defense. Not so much their offense, because like you said, um, they didn't run many plays in a game. Uh, and they weren't even on the field very much in the game. But for that defense, that is a tall order. So we'll bounce that off Casey and Brandon. We've got Tracy Jones coming up about 1135, so about a half hour from now. But lots of topics to cover. Uh, Right here on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Glad you're with us here today, whether you're watching right now, and a number of you are watching right now on um, YouTube and Facebook. Um, Let's see here. Don says, in in reference to our poll question, sad to say that Cincinnati is no longer a baseball town. Dustin adds, uh, the Dolphins are going to crumble. You can just rely on Hill and Waddle. Focus on Hill and Waddle. Don't think Tua will be able to sustain what he's doing. Uh, Don uh, went on to, Dustin went on to wonder, Don did, is he playing with a concussion? And, and Don, no, is the answer. I mean, you just heard Brian Billick. Teams can't pull that stuff off now. 
Um, you know, Brian used to joke around all the time uh, back when he was coaching that a guy would, would get his bell rung. They'd bring him over to the sideline before, you know, there was an independent uh, neurologist there, as Brian made reference to uh, a short while ago, uh, totally independent from either team that, that is at every single NFL game. But he said in the old days, you know, a guy get his bell rung, come over to the sideline, you'd say, how many fingers do I have up? Guy would say four. He says, good, you're good to go. <laughs> I mean, that's what was going on there. Back in the day. Back in the day. And it really wasn't all that long ago, truth be told. Um, you know, fellas, I, I think Grant, well, one of the things I think is, is so important um, for what we're doing here, uh, but especially when uh, reporters are going out to do a preview of a game. And, um, and oftentimes we get bogged down in numbers. And, you know, this team does this X amount of time. And, uh, but, but then you got to bring in the human element. And I love when, when, when guys give me something as just a regular viewer and I watch Bengals games just like you do. I'm sitting at home, uh, hanging out with our son uh, or with some buddies uh, as I was for a half the other day. I I'm watching it just like you are. And I love getting information that then makes me sit there as a game is starting to see how that might unfold. And I think this weather thing and the conditions thing from the Dolphins standpoint that Grant just so perfectly laid out because he lives down there and he's talking about how brutal. And for anybody that's ever been to South Florida in the Miami area with all the water around, the humidity, um, I remember doing baseball games down there where you're just sitting there saying to yourself, you, you have got to be kidding me. How is anybody doing this? And it's not the most taxing sport in the world, baseball, compared to football. Um, but, but, but he laid out there that he, he didn't say shocked, but he would be surprised if the Bengals didn't win the game on Thursday night, that they were catching the Dolphins at the absolute perfect time based on that game Sunday. Well, they're also coming off a huge emotional win, too. Add those two together, I think he's got a pretty good point. Bengals get their first win. Uh, I think it's going to be a good game, but the the point of hot weather, the fatigue, uh, coming off the big emotional win, I think those are three things that, that can really play into the Bengals' favor. Yeah, and I would also like to say, too, that I know we said last week was a must-win, but you might even consider this a must-win. Yep. You can't go one and three in an easy part of your schedule uh, and expect to you know go ahead and beat Bill's in the middle of December or Kansas City, which both teams, I know they lost last week, but they're, yeah, but they're gonna, the two they're, best teams so far two, in yeah, the AFC, without a doubt. 100%. Well, along with Baltimore, Cleveland, whatever. Yeah, and I mean, we haven't played Baltimore yet. So this to me is like, if he's saying that they would steal a win, this has to be a, we gotta win this game. If if it's, this is something that we're expected to win from their perspective, like we gotta go in there and handle our business Thursday. Um, we got a, they, they, they're apparently a very blitz heavy team. Yep. Joe Burrow loves when they do all man blitzes. So can't zero him. Well, you know, I, I got to tell you, Casey, I mean, a, a lot of that's based on what happened last year. 
and I know their offensive line, you know, allowed almost 80 sacks last year, and they're on pace this year to allow a lot more than that, although it was much better in the Jets game, clearly, uh, than it was against the Steelers or, or the Cowboys. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I know in the past Burroughs' numbers have been great against the Blitz. But the way teams, the Steelers and the Cowboys, got after Burrow, yeah, that be, I, I get worried. That will be in the back of our mind all season long. It doesn't matter what team we play. It, we're going to be like, I don't know, they might be able to sack us like four or five times. They, you know, like It just depends on their scheme. depends on you know this player playing at that level that we know they can. To me, the Miami Dolphins don't have that guy. They don't have the T.J. Watt, Michael Parsons. They don't have the the scheme necessarily. They don't play a ton of cover two. I know they play some, but they don't play a ton, and they blitz a lot. And just with all the other factors, I'm going into this very confident. Um, I know we beat the Jets, the lowly Jets. Um, but you got to go in there and win. This well, is, there's no This doubt. is a must-win game for them. So... They got to go in there and win. I want to talk a little bit about, because this was discussed during the game. It has been heavily talked about over the last 24 hours or more. And we asked Zim Hude, who has a personal relationship with, with Joe Mixon. Um, and, and, and we asked Zim, you know, look, we, we, don't, want to, we don't want to breach any of that, that relationship you have with him on a personal level. Uh, he did share with us yesterday that after he spoke with Joe Mixon following the game on Sunday, that Joe says he feels great, got a little banged up. And there at the end, Samaj P. Ryan came in. Now, in fairness, when the Bengals were trying to run the ball early in the game, okay, they only had one back and one tight end. So that's called 11 personnel, right? And then you got the three wideouts. When Samaj P. Ryan was lining up and running right through the Jets' defense in that fourth quarter, in that drive that pretty much sealed the game. Uh, they, they had two tight ends, uh, two backs, and they're just mowing people. Extra offensive linemen, jumbo package kind of thing. And they weren't going to throw the ball. They were just winding down the clock. But the bottom line is, is through the first three games, I think Joe Mixon has the most touches of any running back in the National Football League. And in some metric they use uh, in football, he's basically the third least productive runner in the National Football League, despite having the most touches in the National Football League. Well, Are you guys worried about Joe Mixon? I'm not. If we get to week five and six, and it's still the same two and a half, three yards of carry or an attempt, then I will be worried about it. But I, I think, like we talked about, obviously, with the play calling, the offensive line, the first two games, you can kind of throw it out the window. He had a couple good plays out of the backfield uh, receiving-wise to start the year. But, no, I'm not worried about it yet. I, I, I think a little banged up, getting all those touches. The run game just hasn't been there, with the uh, exception to P. Ryan a little bit. But even – P. Ryan's touchdown, that was, I was driving, but that was a reception, right? Yes. Yep. So the run game, I mean, just hasn't been there all year so far. Yeah. And I would say, like, the issue that you brought up being in that it's an 11 personnel package, like, 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to obviously do better when we have a heavier front. Um, but I do somewhat worry. I, I think that the issue isn't necessarily his skill level. It's his vision. I don't feel like he's actually hitting the hole. Like, Smadje was just hitting the hole. It didn't matter who was in there. If that was the hole he was supposed to go to, boom. Uh, he, he would just hit it and, you know, fall forward for a couple yards. Mixon is trying to avoid and not just be the heavy hitter, and he's running behind his offensive line and not finding the space. I think if he were to get back into finding the open hole, finding the space, he would do a lot better. Uh, there's a couple of uh, different plays where he gets the ball to the outside and he just tries to bounce it out instead of just you yep. know, getting as much as he can. Yep. And usually he does that very very well when he runs the ball up the middle but he should be doing the opposite when he runs the ball up the middle he should be trying to find the open space and instead of just you know running behind the offensive line so i don't know it, it's it's uh i agree with the the 13 personnel versus the 11 personnel thing but i think he could be doing a lot better mm -hmm. at the same time you know, um, back to the conversation with Grant Napier about the Miami Dolphins. Um, much has been made, rightfully so. Even the most ardent, hardcore Bengals fan has to concede that the quarterbacks the Bengals have faced the first three years, first three games, Mitchell Trubisky, Cooper Rush, a little better maybe than we thought. Joe Flacco, he, he's, just, he, he's just old. I mean, he played very well the week before against Cleveland, especially down the stretch when they won the game. And, and I'm a big Flacco fan. I've been a big Flacco fan for a long time. Uh, I like the guy. He's a winner. He's tough. Uh, no excuses. But he, he's closing in on 40. This week... Do we get a better idea, fellas, of how good this Cincinnati Bengals defense really is? They have gone 18 straight possessions without allowing a touchdown, this Bengal defense, after giving up two touchdowns early to Rush and the Cowboys in the first quarter two weeks ago. No offensive touchdowns allowed since then. The weather part of that whole thing made by Grant Napier is not going to be an issue for the Miami offense because they were never on the field. Mm -hmm, right. Tua threw the ball 20 times in a game. 20 times! They had the ball 20 minutes in a 60-minute game. So do you guys believe that this is the first real test for the Cincinnati Bengals defense? Yay or nay? I say yay, and, and, I'm, and I'm buying on Tua after I was a guy that early on didn't know if he, he was a very good college quarterback at Alabama, thought he had a chance to be in a good NFL quarterback, but these first three weeks, he has been on his game. I think it is going to be a big test for the Bengals and the skill position too. And we saw some of the Tyree Kill uh, smack talk before this week, and yep. Eli Apple will have something to say about that. I'm sure he didn't do interviews yesterday, but he'll have something to say about it, if not 
before the game, on the field, and afterwards, I'm sure he's a talker. Let me interrupt you real quick. I don't yeah. want to interrupt your, your train of thought. So, uh, again, were players available yesterday to the media? Players were, and my understanding off of Twitter was that, uh, like you do, you know how a lo open locker room is. Yeah. You go in with cameras and microphones, and if there's a guy that you want to get a interview with, you stand around the locker. So reporters did that yesterday. A few did. And Eli just, you know, respectfully declined and went on his way to lunch. Just That's like, not his M.O. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a bit of a talker on social media, but uh, he did not want to say anything there. Yeah, it was uh, – I think he'll, he'll be a big talker after the game if things go well. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt your train. Of now I'm lost. I'm off the rails. <laughs> I knew that when I did it to you. You know, uh, it is going to be the biggest test so far for the Bengals defense. I think with, with the weapons, that's what we were talking about. Can the Bills? Yeah. I mean, can can the Dolphins run the ball? As far as I know, they haven't been running the ball much, um, mainly because I have Chase Edmonds on my fantasy football team, and he hasn't done jack. So the Dolphins. <laughs> anyways, the uh, Dolphins have the second least rushing yards on the year okay yeah so they can't really run the ball well is... now hold on now in fairness okay in fairness how those things can get a little bit skewed and i'm not suggesting they're a good running team at all because i don't know uh, i'll know a lot more about it tomorrow getting ready for this game but they fell behind 35 to 14 against the ravens that was an incredible okay game. so they're not running the ball down 35 to 40 they're not even trying to run the ball right that's true right yeah so um i wonder what they did if you guys have access to this brand and take a look and, and see if you can find the box score of their game against new england okay the first game of the year and now they won that game pretty handily, as I recall. Yeah, I think I, off the top of my head it was something like twenty-six to seven or twenty something to like. seven. Yep. Okay. Um, boy, my mind's not rotting yet. Um, not and this yet. is the Bengals report, by the way, presented by Encore Technologies. We thank our friends from Encore, who will also be sponsoring Tracy Jones coming up uh, in about fifteen minutes from now. But you have access to that box score by Yeah, they uh, 65 yards on the ground uh, for Miami, 242 through the air. So they didn't well, make how many run much in that game either. Uh, Attempts-wise, rushing 23. Well, that's not Ooh, good. That's not good. That's, that's less than three a carry. Yeah. And we don't do math in public here. <laughs> I don't do math in private. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> All right, so safe to say, um, in a game where they were ahead, where logically you would think, okay, we're going to run the ball, uh, burn clock. They were unable to do that against New England. Um, they had to put it up in the comeback against Baltimore. And then the other day, they were barely on the field. Tua completes 13 passes, uh, and they win the game thanks to great defense. So you wouldn't expect coming in that they're going to be running the ball, although – Coaches frequently fool us in that regard. That's true. They're able to scheme up certain runs. Um, kind of look back at week one. Pittsburgh had, what, four or five end arounds? Yep. Jet sweeps yep. with the receivers. And they were picking up yards off yes, that. Yes, they were. And, and, and I've said it a thousand times, and you've heard me say it on this program. The single greatest athlete I have ever seen in my life and I've seen tens of thousands of them, and I'm not patting myself on the back by saying that. 
the greatest athlete I have ever seen in person in my life, without a doubt, it's not even close, is Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Cheetah. That guy, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you go watch, if you were to have a chance to go watch a Miami Dolphins, I even heard the NFL announcers talking about this um, in the game they played last week um, when, when they beat Buffalo. One of the announcers was saying the same thing, that, that he had not seen Tyreek Hill in person. Playing a game, yes, but just running around in practice in a pair of shorts, T-shirt, maybe pads, shoulder pads, but running around in a pair of shorts. This guy's calves are like this big, and he can't be more than 5'10", 5'9", and his heels never touch the ground when he runs so it's unique to see the way he runs and then when you see how fast he runs it's the word is used a lot about a guy gliding Mm -hmm. i'm not sure anyone i've ever seen glides truly like tyreek hill this cat's unbelievable player he is a star how do they let him go in kansas city how does that happen we had on, who was it earlier from Kansas City? Uh, Matt, Lane. Matt Lane. Matt Lane. And he said, you know, it got into a whole money thing, which it frequently does in Kansas City. They run their team a lot like the Bengals run their team. Uh, they like to keep guys. If they're successful, they're going to do everything they can to try and sign them. But there comes a point of no return where the guy's looking for this. Maybe it's guaranteed money. That was a case in Tyreek Hill's situation. Um, and, and – Boy, there are very few guys out there outside of the quarterback position. That's by far number one. But after that, there are very few guys and very few teams uh, that, that would be able to say so long to Tyreek Hill. I don't I, – you can see a difference. You can see a difference with the Chiefs. They're still very, very good. But, yeah, no, uh, Tyreek Hill is definitely unique. But then the end of that, was he the one that got – he got tackled at the goal line by Eli Apple. So that's where all that starts from last mm-hmm. year in the AFC He's, Championship game. He was also the one that was targeted on the deep throw. Oh, the yeah, that, that Von Bell came that, down with. Yeah. All right. So, well, I'm very curious to see how well he does, if he does well, of course, against the Bengals. Uh, Eli Apple, the lockdown corner. Uh, Casey, you look like you're about to play in the game. I mean, you got uh, your yeah. Bengals warm-up on. It's Yeah, yeah, I'm going to the Bengals gym uh like meet meet and greet thing today oh nice where's that what at? is that Bengals gym meet and greet thing Bengals gym is that a little kid's place or what no is no Bengals no. gym the Bengal big gym, the, the, the big big fan he has a podcast he has a big tailgate area down there oh he's Bengal the guy gym. that i saw on social media yep. with uh he's gonna see zim who day i think this week yep. right yep yeah okay. so what, what does he have going on tonight he's got a show that he's putting together um I'm not exact. I'm going to learn more details about it after. Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's definitely Bengals related, and I think it's got to do something with the Ring of Honor. Oh, nice. Yeah, he had a big you – know. he, he's big on the uh, getting the Bengals players to the Hall of Fame. So he had an event earlier, you know, before the season started with Willie Anderson. Yep. About how he should be in the Hall of Fame and had a Q&A downtown with him. So what is this, uh, what is this thing I saw um, – and again, I, I, I kind of uh, blew through it. I meant to go back and look at it. But did I see some video out there where um, whoever's putting together this campaign um, reached out to the likes of Bill Cower 
and other people talking about Willie Anderson and he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Did I see something I like think that? I heard about that on the radio uh, last night. I think so. And then Michael Strahan and also yeah, there's a, Bengal Jim's got a lot of lot of guys, a lot of big names on his uh, on his show to be able to talk about, you know, campaigning for more. Ba the fact that there's just one Bengal in the Hall of Fame is a joke. Yeah. Well, look, you know, for years and years, and I got to know uh, he was living here uh, for a short stretch of time. If Anthony Munoz is considered to be the greatest offensive tackle in the NFL. The guy whose name most frequently comes up as the next best of all time is a guy who played at USC and played for the Minnesota Vikings named Ron Yeri. Now, Ron Yeri was living here in Cincinnati uh, for a number of, of maybe two years. And um, he was here, you know, working five days a week, then going back home. His family wasn't here with him. So he was hanging out with a guy named Eddie Shepard, who's like a second dad to me who owns a Blind Lemon in the Mount Adams Bar and Grill and so forth. And so I got to know Ron Yeri up at the, uh, at the Blind Lemon. And this was a guy who up until, I think it was only a handful of years ago, finally got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. but, but because for so many years, and it still continues now, if you don't have great success in the postseason, and I mean success defined as winning a Super Bowl, then for whatever reason, you kind of got pushed to the side a little bit. Yeah, the And individual. a lot of those Minnesota Vikings, that's what held true for them. Well, now you dumb that down all the way to a guy like Willie Anderson, who rarely ever even played on a decent team. Right. Right? I mean, forget the playoffs. Forget the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and people overlook you. And so uh, all the people I've spoken with that know all about Willie Anderson believe that he is, without a doubt, a Hall of Famer. Well, Willie Anderson, Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, I mean, I think those are your yeah. probably three that are on the doorstep after yeah. Anthony, right? Yep, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. Kenny Anderson, for sure. And I know a guy named here in town, David Kabicki, has been really in, heavily involved mm -hmm. in, um, in trying to promote him getting into the Hall of Fame. We have our own Hall of Famer coming up next. We're never quite sure what to expect when it comes to Tracy Jones. Uh, we have a number of people that are watching online today. Um, where, is this, uh, where is this note about Tracy Jones? And we're going to bring him in here in a couple of minutes. But uh, Bill says, my son and I love watching Tracy Jones. Says 11.30 is bright and early. It must be for Tracy. It's tough to get out of bed when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask Tracy about all this stuff. When another guy says, he says, hey, look, uh, I've got an 11.30 meeting, but I'm going to circle back on YouTube and watch Tracy Jones and his segment, which comes up in just a couple of minutes. The lovable, the cuddly, Tracy Jones is coming up next. All right, our visit with Tracy Jones is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. The path to my destruction in a second <laughs> career begins right here. Two days that was funny. On Tuesday and, yeah, not bad, right? Tuesdays and Thursdays good. with our main man. Tracy, you're looking good. 
Uh, are you feeling good after the accident a couple of weeks ago now? Well, my wife said to me today, she said, your nose is a mess. I can't, can you see that big old bump on there? I do. Yeah, it's not, it's not good, but what the heck are you going to do? 61 years old, my days of chasing wool are behind me. Something wrong, Tom? <laughs> no, 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 nothing at all. Um, Hey, hey let, before you, you start, you're before you start, totally <laughs> let, let me say something. You, your, your story about Ron Yeri, that was outstanding. I really like, Ron Yeri played at USC. He was a left tackle, I think, with the Vikings number 73. Yeah. And I remember those Viking teams would always beat my Rams team in the playoffs, whether it was Fred Cox kicking a, a, a field goal or Paul Krause making an interception. goes way back. Ron Yeri is one of the greatest tackles of all time. Great story, Tom. And a great dude. I, I, I'm telling you, I so much enjoyed it. He was a very soft-spoken guy, great sense of humor. Uh, and we'd sit up there at the Blind Levin and have a, a number of cocktails and just hang out. And I'd sit back and listen to stories with him. And I was like 23. And, yeah. And uh, he, he, what an awesome dude. Um, you, uh, I want to get back to something, though, for a second, because you texted me yesterday. Okay, you know, yes. your nose is beat up, your face is beat up those kinds of things. And before we get into some of these other topics, um, you said to me that you have some actual health advice that you want to I share do. with me. And, and I didn't have a chance for you and I to get into yeah. that. Could, could you do that here? Is, is it appropriate for here or not really? No, it's all right. Listen, let me first state that I am not a doctor. I could have been a doctor. My mom wanted me to be a doctor, but my dad says, you know what? We got plenty of doctors. Being a doctor is really easy. Be a major league baseball player. So I chose to be a major league baseball player. But I have to, I, I don't kid around with two things, people's money and health. And something that's really helped me, and I just got through with a physical uh, last week, is what I'm doing is fasting. And I can't tell you how much better I feel by only eating once a day. I, I eat around between six and eight o'clock at night. But during the day, I only drink coffee and water. When I went to the doctors about six months ago, my uh, levels were elevated on my liver. Imagine that. Uh, my AST and my ALT. I went back, my triglycerides, all that, all those tests that they give you, your blood tests, went back and they were excellent. There wasn't a single range that I was out above. Um, everything was right in the range. And the doctor turned to me, he says, what the heck did you do? He says, your numbers are great. I says, doc, I only eat once a day. I fast and I feel so much better. And I discovered this when I did a show with your dad. I hadn't eaten for 36 hours. We did 10 shows, Jones and Brenneman on baseball on 700 WLW. And I went in there and knocked out 10 shows and I was actually pretty sharp. Your dad's always sharp and I kind of stumble around like I do, but I told stories, I was right on point, and your dad turned to me and says, boy, that's the best shows you've ever taped. And it was the whole deal with fasting. Because I find that when I eat, Tom, my body shuts down. And I get, you know, I gotta take a nap, so on and so forth. People, if you're listening, just try it. Try it for a couple days. You don't have to do it all the time, but it just kind of cleans things out. And those numbers, my doctor, I says, if you had to grade my health, you know, A, B, C, D, or F, I says, what would you give me? He says, an A minus. Wow. I says, my numbers are that good? He says, your numbers are good for any age. And my point is, my numbers were bad. I'm gonna go on some medicine, 
to being pretty good. So just just no little advice. Know, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I mentioned the name a little while, who's like a second father to me, a guy named Eddie Shepard, who is mm-hmm. a two-time cancer survivor uh, yes. of colon cancer. And, you know, he was looking for ways a couple of years ago and, and kind of stumbled upon this fasting idea. Uh, that you're sharing now, and he and his wife, Pat, are both doing it for a long, long time where you just eat once a, a day, if, if, if I understand this right, and I heard you right, it's between yes. the, uh, certain uh, certain hours of the day, and, and you right. stick to that regimen. Um, and for a guy who's a two-time cancer survivor, his numbers, like your numbers, are just fantastic. I mean, look, uh, fasting, you know, I mean, you read about in the Bible all the time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's got to be something to it just based on that alone. But you're not the first person that I've heard has had great success with. Do you get, you know, my issue would be that I would concern myself with, because I drink a ton of water, I drink a lot of yeah. coffee, okay? Yep. I'm okay with both of those things. Yep. But you know how you get hangry? Don't you get hangry? Um, occasionally. I'll get a little wobbly. Like the time I slipped and fell and hit my head and broke my nose, I was doing a 36-hour fast. That yeah, sometimes with me, the truth comes out a little bit later, and and so my wife. Well, you have just sent that whole argument into a straight train wreck. Well, 36 hours is too much. Okay, yeah. it's way way too much. But yeah, I was a little shaky. And you do have to watch that. So consult your doctor first. But people, give it a try. You got nothing to lose. I've lost 10 pounds. Feel good. Well, but you're a professional athlete. I mean, that's easier to have it fall off you than right. it is for the rest of us normal people, right? Yeah, it's kind of a freak. It's, I'm kind of a freak. There's very few of us. Actually, Tom, you know, you have a better opportunity of winning the lottery than you do playing a major league baseball player. I know. It's, it's really crazy. Tracy, when you eat once a day, you also get that steak and lobster. I mean, you're eating some real premium meals, so it's just it's worth it. That's true. I, I, if you can afford it, yeah, it's nice. You live in the life of Riley. I mean, I have prime rib. I have uh, ribeye steaks are my favorite. Milwaukee's uh, best out. included in that? Is who? I said, is Milwaukee's best included in that? Uh, no, Grey Goose. Grey Goose. Okay, that's right. Yeah, Grey, Grey Goose. Because you, you, you don't sink to the river rats of Milwaukee's oh, best. You got... Not a ham and egger. Okay. Yeah, well, we know that already. Um, you brought up last week, and it's starting to get more and more, um, I'm not going to call it traction. That's the wrong word. Yeah, there's some legs to this whole thing uh, about Tom Brady. And yes. you've had a man crush. You can come out as one man will for another, and, and you'll admit that, hey, you know, you're blown Love away him. by what this guy's been able to do and, you know, success every time you turn around on the field, off the field, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. But, you know, last week he doesn't have three of his receivers. Uh, Godwin, uh, Julio Jones, Mike Evans is suspended. They struggle again, again. Uh, And now all the stuff is starting up again about, you know, is all of his focus, and that's never been questioned with Tom Brady, is all of his focus being devoted to being the greatest quarterback of all time right now. Tom, this is why people have to watch this podcast we see things that you people don't see, right? We were talking about it last week. Nobody was talking before about Tom Brady's situation with Giselle. Now that's that's topic A around. I actually watched the game against uh, uh, Green Bay and Rodgers. Brady is making mistakes that I've never seen him make. That uh, two-point conversion down on the goal line, 
delay yep, a game. I know he's never yep. done. That. He's never done that. But he's yelling a lot. Do you see pictures of him? How much weight has he lost? I mean, he doesn't look like himself. And there's one person to blame, Giselle. She drops the kids off. Now, tell me this. The kids go to the game, but she doesn't? I mean, the poor guy is on edge. He's frustrated. And I'm telling you, and you look this up in a medical book, he's got FSD. FS what? FSB. It's short uh, for fatal sperm backup. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tom, see, the married men know what I'm talking about. I didn't have this until I got married, but I've, I've got the affliction a little bit at times. And, Tom... Do you are you do you ever suffer now that you don't have that job with Fox and you're not bringing home the big checks? Do you have FSB? <laughs> you know what? I I get it. I totally get yeah. what you're saying. There's a lot of truth to I that. I can't believe I'm admitting this on a show we're just starting. That we're talking about the acronym of F FSB. What is, is that? It? What you said? Say it, Tom. FSB. No, not the acronym. Say the whole thing. The three Fatal words. Sperm backup. Is that right? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. Hey, Tom, you know, we've experienced it since we got married. But ask those two guys, <laughs> the producers. Now, they've experienced that their whole life. So they really don't see any adjustment. They, they, they've experienced it. They've had it their own life. Well, I uh, thought you were making the argument that this only hits married men. I thought that's what you were saying. These guys aren't married. Well, I know, but... They're not getting any. So they have FSB. Okay. All right. All right. Well, but he uh, but he is playing on edge. He's a different player now, and I feel bad for him. I really do because it's affecting his play. I love Tom Brady. Um, yeah, you know, some of these um, – some of our fans uh, lure up, says Tracy, um, fasting he knows about. Meditation is another way. Oh. To, grow, to, to break out of a rut. Are, are you into the whole meditation thing yet? You know, I do do some quiet time. I like to go out on my balcony, as you know, look over the city of Cincinnati and go, boy, am I lucky. But just kind of just relax, take some deep breaths, breathe through your nose, not through your mouth. Now, if you have a broken nose, that's a situation. <laughs> so I'm a, a mouth breather now. But just kind of relax. And that, that, uh, that woman makes an excellent point. Meditation. Fasting, just things to make you feel better. That's my dad, by the way. That's not a, that's not a woman. Lure up is my dad. Oh, that's your dad. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. So, so yeah. Oh, has a girl's name. Yeah, right. Has a girl's name. Well, no, lure no. up is the name of his company, like a fishing lure. Oh, I'm sorry. So he, he built this beautiful set behind us here. Oh, very nice. We might very have to nice. have him come to your house and, and build a little set behind you, since you're on us with a couple of uh, a, a days a week. You know, I had a guy come up to me the other day and he said to me, he said, do you know who Pat McAfee is? You and I talked about Pat McAfee, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Now he's kind of gone big time uh, after, you know, running around in the, in the, the tank top. Uh, now he's on college game day. And the guy says to me, he says, you know, your show, he said, I like watching your show. He said, I really like when Tracy Jones is on there. I said, me too. And he says, <laughs> um, he says, you know, if that guy came on with you five days a week, he said, your show would explode 
like Pat McAfee's show exploded. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I'm going to give it I'm going to give it some thought because working with you is a lot like working with your dad. You guys are both really good. I, I just I'm a busy person, Tom, and I just um, I've got to make time. But but I, I'm thinking about it. Okay. I, I don't want to you know, this is going to might hurt you doing the show of getting back to network TV. Do you think? Hey, you know what? We keep talking about FSB. We might up on networks we never thought we'd be on. Hey, listen, can I just stop for a second? I'm sweat like a dog. Here's the deal. My wife Yeah, comes Trace in. Fowler, our CEO, told me to tell you to turn on, on the air conditioning in that Jesus. palatial well, uh, condominium uh, comp uh, uh, pad you have there that yeah. overlooks downtown Cincinnati. You know, I think it's yeah. a side effect of FSB. All that sweating he's doing. You know what? It could be or the fireplace that my wife turned on for my dog, Tucker. I says, I'm, I'm, I'm hot. She says, that's all right. Tucker needs the fireplace. And my dog just sits by the fireplace till he can't take it anymore. So I am sweating like a dog. I'm going to have to get a fan something. Yeah, you, you really do because it's sort of embarrassing. Um, you know, you I wouldn't go that show and sweat like this. Um, gosh, let me block my face. I, I, I want to ask you, but yeah, put on some eye black or something. Hey, um, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you real quick. Um, the Reds have now lost 94 games. Did you ever play on a team that lost a hundred games in a season? I did. I played on the 1991, uh, Tigers. That's the year that Spike, uh, Sparky Anderson left the team for a couple of weeks and that didn't go over too well with the players. We lost, and we had pretty good players. We had uh, Jack Morris, uh, Frank Tanana, myself, Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Tracy Jones, Cecil Fielder. There were some good players, but a lot of us got hurt. We had to bring up some AAA guys, and we were horrible. We lost 100 games, and, and Sparky couldn't take that, Tom. He really took it to heart, and it was a tough year. It was a really tough year. Does it, does it make a difference, Tracy? And I guess what I'm getting at is the Reds have basically been out of contention since the second week of the season. I mean, they, they, they were like 3-22 and 22 or something outrageous. And, you know, they've yeah. gone through stretches where they played all right, and, and now they're sort of fading at the, at the very end. Um, they've already lost 94. Do, is there any effect inside of a clubhouse – where you're saying to yourself, I mean, it's one thing when you're trying to play to win a division or to win a wild card or things like that. Are, right. are there guys sitting around talking in a clubhouse? I'm being serious about this. Are there guys sitting around in a clubhouse uh, that are saying, man, we can't lose 100 games? Hell no. You know what they're worried about, Tom, is getting some knocks. I've said this many a times. I'd rather go four for four and my team lose than go, Oh, for four, my team win. It's about staying in the big leagues. And you're worried about your stats. And especially if you can pad your stats last month of the season. Now, there's a lot of players, and we've talked about this, that come up that last month that you can kind of get fat on. But you're looking at your numbers. You want to finish strong. You're not worried about losing 94 games or losing 100 games. It, it really doesn't matter. You've had a lousy season. You know, I mean, I get that part about about the individual part because, I mean, you know, look, uh, baseball, I, I know they say it's a team game, but I think yeah. different than football and, 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 and basketball, the other two big sports, throw hockey in there if you want is fine. Uh, but it really is much more of an individual sport. Yes, played by members of a team, 
but it really is an individual sport. I mean, the very active of pitcher batter is an individual mm. sport in and of itself inside of a game for how many batters come into a game, right? Right. I mean, you think about it, you have a bad game, you have a couple bad games. I mean, you could be sent back down to the minors. You, you'll get sit on the bench. Who? And I'm not going to say winning isn't important because it is, but having those stats, staying in the big leagues. Because once you're out of the game, Tom, those friends that you had on the team, you don't hear from them at all. You know, you and I have talked about baseball and how they're, uh, I think, it, last check, I think when I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, uh, there were – uh, 19 of the 30 teams in baseball had more strikeouts than base yeah. hits. I, you know, guilty as charged. I don't watch baseball like I used to watch baseball when I was paid to go watch baseball. I don't watch it. I rarely ever watch it anymore. Um, but but in, in this job, I'm checking every morning to see if Aaron Judge hit a home run the night before so I can talk about yes. it on the show the next day. Last night was the first time that I actually sat down and looked at the New York Yankees lineup, okay? And I'm going to try to <laughs> play up here right now. I'm not very good at this stuff. But, but I sit there and I look at the box score of the New York Yankees from last night, right? And I'm, and, and I'm trying to pull it up here, and I'm just not very good at it. But, but long story short is I cannot believe some of these batting averages, Tracy, by guys that are playing in the big leagues today, and I people know. talk about them like they're, they're great players. Um, I, I just don't know, and I know all the, the analytics people out there would say, oh, it's not about batting average. You know, that's fine. But here, here we go, okay? Anthony Rizzo. I found it. Anthony Rizzo, 226. Donaldson, 226. John Carlos Stanton is hitting 211. 211 with a slugging percentage of 450. Cabrera 230. I mean good players. Well, I guess that's how you define a good player now, right? How are so many of the guys that are allegedly the best offensive players in the game? I just ripped off. Now, Judge is an exception to the rule. Yeah. Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton, along with Donaldson, have been three of the most productive offensive players in baseball for a number of years. And people are still talking about Stanton like, like, like he's anything anymore. Right. Well, I mean, it goes back to, to the numbers. We talked about this, I think, or maybe I talked about it with your dad. April, May of, of the beginning of the season, there were 54 players hitting under 200. Manny Machado is fifth in the National League in hitting. Do you know what he's hitting, Tom? 297. Gets you fifth. People that have career average or hitting 270, that puts you in the top 30 in the National League. 270? Really? That's hard to believe. It's I did not crazy. know. Crazy. That, that's why yeah. you are Tracy Jones. You bring information. You come prepared on multiple topics across the board. And I, and I got to bring this up because, and it, and it involves your dad. I don't. I know your dad's on tomorrow. That's called cross promoting, Tom. Thank you. Uh, I know your dad's on tomorrow. I've had a pretty good relationship with your dad for years. We argue very little about sports, baseball. You know, we, once in a while we'll heat it up a little bit. 
The one thing you can't talk to him about is Ted Williams. I swear to God, he thinks no. Ted Williams is the greatest hitter of all time. And I don't want to bring up, you know what, Marty? Back in those 40s, that was when baseball was at its worst, right? As far as the era he played in, he was the best. But you put him in the league now, facing some of these Dominican pitchers throwing 102, that guy hit 270. I just think it's a total different I'm game. I'm not buying that. Uh, I got to tell, well, well, tell, tell you where this whole Ted Williams thing started, Tracy. When I was doing the Reds games, and there were times where my dad and I would do the radio together, I made the comment that I thought Barry Bonds was the best offensive player and hitter I had ever seen. And he is. You're right. Well, and Well, until I go back, and I'm not a big stats guy, but I got to tell you, you look at Ted Williams, and you can say it's a 40, you can say whatever you want to say. When you look at his numbers, they are sick. Okay, I, I agree. You know what's really sick is a 482 on base average, a 634 slugging percentage. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sound stupid here and start taking down Ted Williams. I'm just saying players now are so much better to, than the players back in the 30s, 40s. I mean, Pete Rose used to say the best pitching ever was back in the 60s with Koufax, Drysdale, Marischal, Gibson. And I was like, okay, and who else? <laughs> you know, right. that's a stupid right. comment. It, you have to admit, those four, yeah, but what about the bullpen? I, I mean, it's just players are better. Why are we always comparing old-time baseball players, right? Who's, who's better, Ted Williams or, you know, Cabrera? You know, we're making comparisons. We never do that in football, right? We don't, we don't make comparisons. Players, I remember when offensive linemen weighed 230 pounds. Yep. Now they weigh 330. You don't make that comparison in basketball. Talk about the top 10 basketball players of all time. I never hear Oscar Robertson or Jerry West name mentioned. I never hear Elgin Baylor compared to LeBron James, right? You don't make those comparisons. But in baseball, they love to do it, right? Well, you can argue about it with point. my dad the next time you tape your, your show. Oh, I'm not. Him. Oh is hell no! Is it Brenneman and Jones on baseball, or Jones and Brenneman on baseball? It's actually Jones that? and Brenneman on baseball. You know, and I like our. We need to have some type of a name for our show. Maybe Brenneman Junior. and Jones on anything. <laughs> what about this? What about this? I got one. What about your show? Is Tom Brenneman off the bench? Well, I spend a lot of time on the bench. Shorten up a little. What about BJ on the bench? Oh, wait a minute. That's not good. Take that back. You like that one, Tom? Tracy, it's been great having you with us here on this Tuesday. Oh, best of luck in fasting and, uh, and be careful walking around on the patio. I'm more concerned about FSB. I got to do something about that. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> all right. I'll Tracy, see you on Thursday, time. Tom. I'll see you on Thursday. If all right. Still here all right. Thursday. See you, buddy. I don't even know if we'll still be here Thursday. We might be off the air by Thursday. Whoever thought when we started this show that that's where we were going? Did you guys think that when you got in involved in this well, operation? I, I'm certainly really concerned about it now. I, I got to do oh some digging Lord. into it. I got to see what... Uh, Oh, my God. <laughs> Looking at the comments, huh? Oh, my God.
Okay. All right. We thank all of you for your comments. We have the cherry on top segment when we come back. All right, it is our time uh, for the cherry on top presented by United Dairy Farmers. Now, th- this one is a big one. Uh, for those of you that have not seen Paul Fritchner's show yet, it's coming on a couple of days a week now. Two days, right, Paul? Yeah, Monday All right, Thursday. Monday and Thursday, gambling show uh, about teams uh, in our area. It's called Not To the Number Two Picky. Now, Reed Mouse is here. Paul is here with Brandon Seho, Casey McAllister, and yours truly. Uh, Reed, explain to everyone, because this bet and the payoff, which is about to happen to the bet, occurred how and why? Well, it's your classic pie-in-the-face bet. I'm I'm sure you've been a part of it. Yeah, I was a victim of one. Yeah, yeah, of of course. And the bet was pretty pretty easy. I mean, Brandon Brandon was so confident in the Pittsburgh Steelers that they were going to cover on Thursday night football in the dog pound in Cleveland. And the Browns just they just took care of business. It was the easiest bet I probably have ever made. They were they were this close to covering. They they, were, they, they really <laughs> weren't. They really and it would have been a pie. They, the they were dominated in that game. That's not true. Uh, they got their tails kicked just as everybody in this room predicted, except for you apparently, which is why you're the only person who is now going to be Exhibit A of why not to do this. Cherry on All right, top let's get the mic out of the way. United Dairy Farmer. Reed, you get to do the honors. Yeah, let me let me pull this back. Yes, I do. And the reason, and it's a good pie. It's a, it's a Marie Callender's coconut cream. Brent, only the best for Brandon. It's hard to see you waste this on that. Well, it's I mean, my favorite pie. Brandon's from the West Side. He's highfalutin, so he's just <laughs> he, he he needs to be a good pie. So I got Marie Callender's. So okay. That's what we're okay. All right. So here we go. The payoff to the bet. Our cherry on top, presented by United Dairy Farms. Mmm, looks good too. Right. Got this on video on there. You're excited about this, aren't you? Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. Oh, my oh. gosh. Oh, oh, my gosh. My nose like crazy. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It's a good look. I think it was still frozen. <laughs> <laughs> still frozen. That's not good. <laughs> that actually hurt my nose. The pie was still frozen. I just threw oh a cement God. block in his face. Oh, my God. Oh now my we're going to have two guys that are on this program <laughs> with broken noses. Tracy Jones. And Brett, you all right? No, no, it is, it is, oh my God. It's frozen, it really is. I can see your finger doesn't even go in it. You know who your friends are, Brandon. You know who your friends are. So, um, boy, the payoff is there. Doesn't get any better than that. Um, Tomorrow, we have the big interview, and it's a big one. Johnny Lee Bench, considered to be the greatest catcher of all time. He will join us for roughly about 45 minutes tomorrow, and I cannot wait for that. We thank Casey McAllister. We thank Brandon Seho. We thank our executive producer. You're looking good. You all right? He's bleeding. Frozen pie. I mean, the guys can't even do him right by getting a pie that's, that's you know, thawed out. I mean, good Lord, everybody's going to be on the injured list around here before we're trying to continue this show. We'll see you tomorrow on Off the Bench.